I can't be on the record saying anything. What's that sound? Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Proposition sounds intriguing. Proposition sounds very attractive. I tell you it's a thoroughly sound proposition. Seems a sound proposition. What brought you here? I work, uh, I play cello, compose, use some electronics, uh, sing a little bit. <laughs> and my real name is Karolina Red, but I've decided to use name Rezina to make a mark between all my previous projects and bands uh, and just start a solo thing. which is a liquid, kind of a liquid. We call it in Polish żywica. Uh, and it's just uh, like a blood of tree, I would say. Kind of thing like that. Uh, it's just integral part uh, of the tree. And also we use uh, resin for a bow. I live in Warsaw, but originally I'm from and this north part of Poland, the seaside. My playing life is uh, really connected very strongly to my studio work because uh, all the, I mean, the base of the solo playing, solo project, let's say, Resina, uh, it came from playing live. That was the reason, actually, that I was offered to play a solo gig and with my totally new solo material, and that was the first impulse. So everything started from playing live, actually. 
that was the reason I decided to use hardware stuff, not a laptop. Also because I, I'm, I really like this type of physical playing, and laptop would be just probably this tool which uh, would put me farther from my physicality. But uh, general, yeah, playing live was just the first impulse, and the first album was totally playable, like 100% live. Uh, and it was recorded live, actually, with some really small uh, ad uh, adaptation for the album, for the record. Uh, and the second album was a bit more edited, but still uh, it was possible for me to play it nearly 100% live. Uh, I mean, I really like to keep the live playing dramaturgy. I really like it. And maybe in the future it will be not so easy if I would like, for example, this choir or something like this type of, you know, huge, huge band. But uh, at this moment it was still possible to, to make it nearly 100% possible playing live. And I really enjoyed it. of the past. When we are present only, uh, like uh, on the basis of um, only that moment, which is uh, kind of, how to explain it, it's very popular now, yeah? I would say it's uh, all, all, this, all this mindfulness and all that stuff learn you that you should be present at this moment, at this place. Yes, I really believe in that, but also uh, I think that we really don't put enough uh, attention to, to the lessons from the past. That we are still making the same mistakes all the time, all the time, all the time. So we, I think, I feel that we should make some kind of connection between present and past. And a full 100 being present I just feel it needs to incorporate the knowledge about past to be really fully present. subject in my head at that time and somehow it's, it's just you know uh, incorporated I I feel like more like under the skin not in this very conscious way 
but somehow it works. It just works somewhere in my mind. Uh, we call it intuition, but I feel that's not only intuition. I mean, it's intuition, but intuition is also an experience. So um, I would say that it works, but not with this uh, just super conscious way, kind of <laughs> rational, you know. It's just somewhere there. I would say, just to be focused on really what I want to do and find the end of it. Was that made specifically for Unsound? Uh, some of them were made, um, I think some of them were made specifically, but uh, I've seen the sketches also of these visuals uh, two months ago when I was playing with my label mate, Emily Levenes-Varouz. And we also wanted to touch this subject. So that was the first moment probably when we also used these visuals. Uh, so I would say it was the second time probably but it's also connected to the, generally, to the atmosphere of the album, I feel so. of visuals is actually my husband. He's the author of the visuals, but he also is a witness of the process, how the album really was uh, was going to the end. He saw, all, uh, like he was my partner in the discussions. He was the person who I, uh, who I was talking to about all that stuff. So he was really sure um, what about it is, just simply. So, and he also knows my um, type of aesthetic uh, and that usually I like um, kind of, let's say, not very complicated things, maybe. I mean, when you are uh, solo on stage or with a drummer, uh, visuals still can't do... I mean, it's still a solo type of music, I would say, so they have to be done really... Um, not in overwhelming way. I hope it worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was beautiful. Uh, but it also, because there was the sort of the cool blue light and the yeah. two of you were, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the giant yeah. um, mask, mask was very, yeah. uh, really draws your eye to that. And so mm -hmm. it almost de-emphasizes their performers in, 
in lieu of what's going on with the man. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's because of his very special attitude. Because he's not a typical visual artist; he's a director. Okay. So he also thinks a little bit like I think a narrative way. Even if sometimes I don't use this type of uh, thinking, he uses that, and somehow it works. I believe. presence like they don't want anyone on their cell phone or whatever like <laughs>
it's nice to play in these types of like different spaces. Yeah, there's um, what is the thing? Is it tonight? Um, there's a show in like a mine. Electroacoustic uh, materials, and I compose for other instruments and multi-channel space. Um, I specialize in uh, acoustics and site-responsive and site-specific kind of work. a residency in Buffalo, New York, where um, I was given access to this amazing grain silo. So it was about 28 feet wide and uh, I'm going to say about 150 to 200 feet tall. Um, it was a very extreme kind of acoustic space and I had a month to work there and make recordings and uh, I wrote a saxophone quartet for that space. So. Um, when I went back and I listened to those recordings of myself just playing, you know, alone, um, I was hearing different kind of acoustic effects that then I tried with the aid of electronics to recreate. So that's what I'm going to be doing um, uh, here at Unsound. Um, some of the saxophone material that you'll hear is processed in a way that, you know, tries to recreate the acoustics of that grain elevator. Performance and improvisation is always, to me, a site-specific or site-responsive uh, act. 
because you're always kind of like listening to the way that your sound occupies the space. Um, and so it definitely like informs whatever recorded material I end up with. Um, a lot of times, you know, I'll tour with a piece and then record it after I tour with it so I can really spend time in performance uh, refining it and, um, you know, swapping sections out and just developing the material in a live context before I ever take it to the studio. But then, you know, being in the studio, it's a very different type of thing, you know. Um, it's a different type of headspace that you're in. And you can, I don't know, make different kind of choices there. Um, you know, you're, you're basically documenting something. So you have to create um, a piece that is able to stand up over time. So, you know, your creative decisions are going to be a little bit different. I did a, another site-specific piece in Cologne uh, this past year where it was in the hollow body of a bridge. And this bridge was about uh, 440 meters long over the Rhine River. And it was a, another like extreme acoustic environment. So I was doing, uh, I did three compositions. One was for alto saxophone, another one was for a brass ensemble, and then the third one was for percussionist. So because, you know, the space is meant to be traversed by the audience, um, it takes about, you know, five to seven minutes to walk across the bridge. So when I was composing the pieces, I kind of took that into account. So they were, you know, much longer than I would normally, you know, have a piece of music. So it was like 50 minute long piece because of that subjective, you know, spatial thing that was happening where, you know, it just takes an audience member a certain amount of time to get from point A to point B. So it was, um, so then going back and listening to those recordings and, you know, I'm thinking about doing a release with that material. It's really interesting because, you know, I'm doing a lot of editing. So I'm going to edit the piece down to about 20 minutes from, you know, 50. So, you know, you have to make different kinds of creative choices um, considering the medium.
I think that playing a woodwind instrument is really interesting in this context because, um, you know, the physicality of my presence on stage and the fact that, like, you know, I'm playing an instrument that requires the breath in order to make sound, um, it's a kind of, like, I don't know, very direct physicality that I hope comes through in the performances. Um, I also use a lot of kind of like psychoacoustic techniques um, in terms of like microtonality and you know dissonance and um, different tones and stuff like that, which I think really um, you know if it works, uh, it tries it really fills the space and creates a kind of sonic architecture that I can play around with. saxophone since I was nine years old um, and yeah I played you know jazz and classical music um, up until about I was in college and then I started getting more into free jazz um, and then from there I think like a natural extension of that was um, noise music uh, in terms of like pushing that abstraction and pushing you know deconstructing all kinds of like musical uh, markers You know, noise is really interesting because people approach it from different genres of music. So like some people come to noise through like hardcore and punk. Some people come to it through classical music. Some people come to it through jazz. So it's always interesting collaborating with different people and like talking to different people in the underground noise scene because they're, they're always like coming from a different place with it. Right, right, of course, which is more of like a European phenomenon. I notice that um, here in Europe I get booked on festivals that have more like techno. Um, and it's interesting because in the States, you know, there's not as much crossover. Um, there's definitely like a trend of people who used to play noise music then realizing that techno is probably a better career choice <laughs> and deciding to play techno. I think there's just like less dialogue, you know? I mean, the idea of it, of, you know, dance music being, you know, a party kind of context and experimental music not being that is, you know, those lines are really drawn very clearly in the States. Um, but here, I think people can kind of understand these things in a different way. It's interesting, actually, I was noticing on the program for Unsound, um, Phil Niblock, who, you know, is a wonderful guy and a good friend of mine, uh, is playing on a kind of like a techno program. Yeah, Phil's the, the chill out room. He's the chill out room, <laughs> which is actually really funny to think about because Phil's music is so visceral and so intense. It's like not chill out, to me, it's not chill out music at all. It's like really engaging and really like overwhelming.
Um, I think I started working with tape around 2011 or 12, um, and I was, I just happened to acquire this reel-to-reel -reel machine, um, and so I, I was using that, and I was really inspired by um, a couple of good friends of mine who were working with tape. Um, my friend G. Lucas Crane, um, who does this like really amazing cassette collage, uh, he's been doing it for a long time, and you know, just thinking about. I found the process of recording a sound onto tape a very magical one because there's this like process of transformation that ends up happening. So you can, you know, filter the sound um, in a lot of different ways. You can, you know, burn the tape. You can make, you know, record it at too hot of a level, and so there's like this really nice distortion that happens. You can play with the speed, so altering the pitch through speed control. Um, there's just like a lot of kind of creative ways of dealing with recorded sound. Um, and so I think the first thing that I did, I, I put a, we, we lived outside of a bus stop on the first floor. And so I put a microphone outside the window and I recorded the bus uh, stopping in front of the house and the squeal of the brakes and the whole, you know, very familiar sounds. Um, that was part of my kind of like psychic landscape living in this space. You know, I would hear this bus all the time and I would hear people outside all the time. So it was something that was very familiar to me that then through the process of recording became defamiliarized. Um, so it was really interesting to like watch this kind of like magical transformation happen through just, you know, the medium of recording. So from there, I kind of started working with like loops and you know different um, types of tapes. So now I have um, I work with reel to reel. I work with uh, regular cassettes and I work with micro cassettes. So I have all three sizes of <laughs> tape and, represented. Uh, so when you're performing with those, are you playing back to recorded loops? Or are you recording live and manipulating those actually? Both. Okay, both. both. Um, um, so okay, touring with a reel to reel machine is not cool. <laughs> it's not a cool thing to do. So what I do is, uh, yeah, a combination of, of pre-recorded playback um, and then like live manipulation of micro cassette. So the micro cassettes are very portable, very easy. Um, so I'll do like live collage with those, um, and then there'll be this kind of like spine, um, which will be uh, digitized tapes that serve as kind of like a not a consistent backing track because it's not there all the time, but just it it, at, it like creates a kind of like structure that then I can articulate with other tape and saxophone sounds. Okay. Do you use the built-in microphone? Or oh yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, totally lo-fi. Alright, and, and then you really can uh, have a certain gestural aspect to the recording since you're mm -hmm. holding it in your hand and all that really changes what's being registered, right? 
Yeah, a lot of what I record on the micro cassettes are um, like field recordings. So, you know, I'll walk around and record some birds and or record a, you know, factory or record a highway or something like that. And so it's like an extremely lo-fi um, way of dealing with sound. Um, and then when I play the, the cassettes back, um, I do it in, in a way where like I'll press uh, play and fast forward at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it'll create these kind of like amazing like, bursts of uh, abstract noise, uh, very like high pitched, high end noise. Um, so that's like a, a nice way that I can kind of utilize the cassettes and slowly break the machines that I'm using. <laughs> this is a big problem for me. Yeah, I can imagine better micro cassette than a real to real. Yeah, the real to real has. So I have a duo with uh, a vocalist. Uh, her name is Amartha Kadambi, and she's an amazing vocalist. She is uh, trained in jazz and uh, Indian classical music. So I process her voice through a reel-to-reel -reel machine, and so she's singing through this machine, and I, you know, manipulate the reels to kind of like bend her voice and, you know, do all these kind of like extensions of, you know, what she's singing. But the, by doing that, I'm like totally blowing out the motor of this machine. So I'm trying to figure out a way to have the duo and like depend on this, you know, old piece of equipment that I'm totally misusing uh, and not have to buy a new one every couple months. to, you know, integrate things on the fly like that. Um, but, you know, the piece of music that I'll be presenting is something that is kind of always changing. And, you know, like you'll hear fragments of this percussion piece that I'm working on right now. So it's this thing that's like always kind of evolving and I'm always like swapping out parts of and putting in new things. So, um, yeah, with the micro cassettes, like I do, use a lot of environmental sounds, but I'm, I'm always kind of slow to integrate them because I'm not convinced that performance is the best space to experiment in. definitive 
like just knowing that it's gonna work. noise in my music which I think kind of there's this real like line with people where oh it turns out people don't like noise <laughs> but um, it's, it's kind of nice to be placed in you know juxtaposition with um, music that's a little bit more gentle um, because I feel like it makes noise a bit more powerful that's why I think that like noise aesthetically is like very powerful because it has the ability to kind of push people to their limits of what they are able to stand. So I think any time that we, um, yeah, just can like push people to question their own aesthetics and question their own capacity to like something or not like something. You know, like the whole thing with, with art in general is that it's not always pretty, you know? And I think that using noise kind of reflects that complexity. Um, which also is like a thing about life. Like life is not always pretty. The world is not always pretty. So it's a, it's a powerful way, I think, to examine those um, elements. But turns out people don't really like it. get up and leave from a concert, you know, like that requires um, an active will that's a bit stronger. I mean, with the noise thing, um, I like to use noise in dynamic ways and to juxtapose it against um, non-noisy sounds. So like take a sound that's challenging and put it together with something that is like aesthetically beautiful. And I think that both types of things can be strengthened by each other um, through that. I mean, a lot of, you know, orchestral instruments are able to achieve noise textures, but um, for me, yeah, like the woodwinds are really nice because you have these very non-pitched type of sounds that are possible to make, um, that come from the breath and come from the reed. So yeah, you can, you can totally like explore that non-pitched world. Totally. Actually, um, when I was a, a kid, she wrote a children's book called Cat Wings, which were about these cats that fly. <laughs> and I had read that. When, it was like one of my favorite books as a kid. And I didn't really know much about her as like a, an author in general until like my early 20s. And then, um, you know, I've read um, a number of books like in the Earthseed trilogy and um, 
got really into her stuff. And I had never known that she, you know, made music and like that that was a thing until just like very recently. So yeah, it's awesome. It's, it's really, I wish that she was like still alive, you know? sounding. 